Chapter Fourteen of the Mind the Paint Girl. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jude Summers. The Mind the Paint Girl by Lewis Tracy. Chapter Fourteen and ultimately burst into flame. Farncombe was the first to recover some measure of sanity. He had been stung almost to the madness of attacking G's by the coarse and brutal insinuations which had come from the man's lips, but the greater horror which he feared, that Lily herself should strike her slanderer, induced an anguished appeal for restraint. "'Miss Paradell!' he cried, and drew her away gently." oh you cur she said again glaring at g's with bitter eyes my mother has been told that lord farncombe is with me i sent jimmy up to tell her where is your mother asked the rasping demand in bed of course snoring ha ha fa there's an ugly name my girl for mothers such as yours oh oh she could not even speak intelligibly now but that low wail wrung farncombe's heart with agony bitterly conscious that this vulgar intruder had some sort of right to be there he kept his head captain g's he said sternly do you happen to know where i live for an instant g's condescended to look at him no he snarled i don't know where your sty is st james place forty seven i shall be in at twelve o'clock his steady look and resolute air quieted g's for a moment and farncombe picked up his hat and overcoat he turned to the half-frenzied girl from the tone this gentleman adopts miss paradell he said i assume that he considers himself entitled to concern himself in your affairs i hope to have an opportunity to dispute his claim perhaps it will make it easier for you now if i Lily ran to him and caught his arm despairingly. "'Ah, uh, I'm so indignant that I don't know what to say,' she sobbed. "'But you must not go, Eddie, until—Eddie, Eddie—' Despite the acute distress of the moment, the two became aware of the heartbroken way in which Jeeze repeated his rival's name. But the knowledge that he was suffering only stirred the girl to a new fury— she turned on him with a spitfire intensity that was appalling. "'Yes, you cad!' she screamed. "'Eddie! Eddie! Eddie! You wretched sneak! You idler! You waster! But I've done with you now. I've stood it long enough. This is the last straw, and I'm sick to death of you. How I've tolerated you all these years is a mystery to me.' After this, get out of my sight, and never show yourself to me again. For answer, Jeeze grasped her wrist fiercely. Lily, he began, but before Farncombe could interfere, which he was strongly tempted to do, she had wrenched herself free, and apparently lost all control over herself. What? she shrieked. You spy on me, will you, you shabby loafer? you'll peep at me while i'm eating my supper and count the dances i choose to give that boy over there will you and then you'll break into my house and insult my friends behind their backs and insinuate foul things against my poor old mother you 
damned coward! And against me and him? Why, you're not fit to black his boots, and you never were, never, you scum! Here! And she took Farncombe's note from her bosom and thrust it upon G's. Read that! Read it! Read it! Out loud! Because G's had begun to read silently. He obeyed, but awkwardly, mumbling the words. <clears throat> Dear Miss Paradell, will you allow me— Louder! she stormed. Will you allow me, he resumed, to remain behind for a few minutes with Miss Jimmy after the others have gone? I know I am presuming a lot, but I cannot leave you till I have asked you the most important question a man can put to a woman. Farncombe. In the reaction from ungovernable rags to triumph, for there was no mistaking the red hue of defeat mounting in Nico G.'s face, Lily became breathlessly explanatory. "'Written here, on my note-paper, while I was out of the room,' she gasped. "'It came on me like a thunderclap, and Maury Cooling and Lal will tell you that I hadn't the ghost of a notion that Lord Farncombe was to be at the supper last night, or any of the boys, not a notion. And I blackguarded both of them for deceiving me, and causing me to deceive you.' I wrote it to them, even mentioned you in the letter. Now, what have you to say? Oh, dear! Oh, dear! Jeeze had flung himself into a chair, and his gloomy eyes studied the pattern of the flamboyant carpet. Why the devil did you let Jimmy go? he said huskily. Why did you let her go? It was knowing that you and Farncombe were alone that, that made me— Oh, if I'd suspected that a private detective was hovering around, I'd have kept the lot of my friends, was the disdainful reply. As it was, Jimmy was looking dead, and, pah, why should I explain? Jeeze partly straightened himself, and drew a hand wearily across his forehead. Well, I, I beg your pardon, he said brokenly. I'm not so completely scum as not to see that I ought to beg your pardon. I can't do more, now. I beg your pardon. As was her way, Lily softened more readily than she had yielded to rage. You, you drive me mad sometimes, positively frantic, she said, swayed by some vague imagining that, if only she could restore relations to their normal state— the effect of a most disagreeable scene might yet be mitigated. "'Mad,' repeated Jeeze, partly to himself. "'Yes, that's a truer word.' He turned to the young Viscount, who, on his part, was completely undecided whether he ought to go or stay. "'And you, Farncombe,' he said, "'I hope you'll accept my apologies. I offer them unreservedly.' The only indication that Farncombe had hurt him was a stiff bow, at which Jeeze sank his head again, bewildered, crushed, almost abased. And Lily glanced with a newborn timidity from one man to the other. She was beginning to realize that her one-time lover must have suffered. She felt strangely humbled, too, because of the much finer attitude Farncombe had adopted than she herself when stung by false accusation. I—I I didn't mean half I said, Nico, she faltered. 
I really didn't mean half of it, and I'm ashamed of losing my self-control as I did. There was a long and awkward pause before Jeeves rose to his feet and silently returned the note. Lily looked up at him piteously and put the slip of paper back into her bosom, but he seemed to give no heed. Taking out his key-ring, he removed the latch-key from it and threw the key on the table. Then, dragging the cap from his overcoat pocket, he was making for the door without another word. But this was too much. The girl raced after him and caught him by the sleeve. "'Nico! Nico!' she said. "'Well,' he muttered thickly, "'what more is there to say?' "'Won't you, won't you give Lord Farncombe some explanation?' "'Explanation?' "'Of the sort of terms we've been on, you and I. He, he must be rather puzzled. Isn't it due to you as well as to me?' He faced her with a curiously subdued air. "'Just as you please,' he said, laughing dully. "'Oh, yes, perhaps it is due to me that he should learn a little more about me than he has been able to gather from personal observation, and your eloquent but summary description. Idler, waster, loafer.' He repeated the words almost under his breath, screwing up his cap the while like a lubberly boy who has been detected in some fault. He seemed to be almost unaware of a sobbing exclamation from Lily, but walked slowly nearer to Farncombe, on whom he fixed a heavy yet curiously impersonal stare. "'It's a true bill,' he said. "'And yet, a very few years back, she won't dispute it. I was one of the smartest chaps going, good at my job, with prospects as rosy as any man's in my regiment.' There wasn't a cloud the size of your hand, apparently, in my particular bit of the sky at the time I speak of. Not a speck. Then I met this young lady, and, well, since we're in for it, he indicated vaguely that they should sit down. He himself was tired, worn out with sheer physical strain. Farncombe murmured something which signified his unwillingness to hear a disclosure which might be painful to the narrator, but Jeeves, with some return of his wonted masterfulness, waved aside the interruption. "'No, no,' he exclaimed determinedly. "'She wishes you to understand the exact nature of the friendship between her and me. I'm obeying her instructions, so you've got to listen.' The two men sat down, facing each other. Lily kept away from them, almost timidly it would seem. For the moment, the ex-captain of infantry dominated the situation. "'I was under thirty, and still a subaltern,' he said, "'when I made Miss Paradell's acquaintance. Like most of my pals, I was spending my nights, whenever I could get away from Aldershot, in the stalls at the Pandora, much the same as you've been doing, and as a certain class of young men will go on doing as long as the Pandora and similar shops continue to flourish. Ha! How honoured we felt, we men, in those days, at knowing some of the Pandora girls, and having the privilege of supping em and standing em dinner on Sunday evenings. If they'd been royal princesses, we couldn't have been more elated. Don't jump at conclusions." It generally ended there, or with our running into a debt at a jeweler's. We were young, and they were beautiful, 
or we thought him so. But the majority of us weren't vicious, any more than the majority of the girls were, though many of them were mighty calculating. It would have been better for us men if all the girls had been wicked. The glamour, the infatuation, the folly would have been sooner over, and one of us at least would have had a different tale to tell. He broke off abruptly to gaze again at the floor, and Farncombe moved somewhat impatiently. Lily crept forward quietly. She was anxious not to say anything calculated to wound G's again, but his reminiscences were travelling beyond her intent. "'I only wanted you—' she began, but the sound of her voice roused him instantly, though he merely tossed a question over his shoulder. "'Who was it introduced us?' "'Miss Duquesne. Aggie Duquesne.' "'Agnes Duquesne. She's gone under.' "'Outside Buckley's Oyster Bar, wasn't it?' "'Not outside. In the parlour.' This rather absurd introduction of trivial detail seemed to serve a good purpose in making some of them feel that the recent storm, lurid as it had been, had passed. Evidently, Lily Paradell thought so, but she was never more mistaken in her life. Jeez neither met her eyes nor even gave much heed to her presence.' It was Farncombe he was addressing. Farncombe, who had to hear the truth. "'Lily had only lately come to the Pandora,' he went on. "'A pale-faced slip of a thing, about eighteen. I confess I wasn't overwhelmingly attracted at first. She was so unlike the rest.' And he laughed bitterly. The girl joined in that ill-timed mirth, but she, too, was peering back into the mists. "'Yes, wasn't I dowdy?' she cried. He resumed, as though she had not spoken. But she was humble, and naive, and confiding, and my vanity was tickled by her delight at the little treats I gave her, and her gratitude for a tuppenny, happeny present or two. Nobody, I believe, with any pretensions to being a gentleman, had paid her much attention before I arrived on the scene. No, nobody, murmured Lily. I didn't find out that I was in love with her. You guess it's a love story, don't you? Farncombe again moved uneasily. This quiet, orderly recital was even more trying to his nerves than the preceding volcanic outburst. My dear Captain Gies, he began, but the other stopped him with an uplifted hand. I didn't find out that I was over neck and heels in love with her till nearly a year afterwards, when my regiment went to the Cura. That did it. Separation. What I suffered in that hole, thinking of her, starving for her. In less than three months I was in London again, on leave, and in my old stall at the Pandora. But even then, Farncombe, I hadn't your pluck. Pluck? exclaimed the other, startled out of himself by this singular admission. Yes, said Jeeves, speaking now with a fierce animation the pluck to snap my fingers at the world and propose marriage to a Pandora girl. Besides, my mother was living then, and would you like to know what she used to call these Pandora women? He bent forward, his hands tightly clenched, and spat out the words ferociously. She used to call them a menace to society. She wrote that to me one day. With their beauty and their flagrant opportunities for displaying it, 
they are a living curse, she used to say, a source of constant dread to mothers whose hopes it is to see their sons safely mated to modest maidenly girls of the typical English pattern. She told us once, my brothers and me, frightened as to where we were drifting, that she was one of many mothers who prayed on their knees daily that their boys might be spared from being drawn into the net woven by their own weaknesses and passions, drawn into it by these, these... He rose, choked on the word, and glared about him wildly for a moment. Oh, but I oughtn't to have repeated this to you. I'm sorry. It's damned bad taste. For an instant, he leaned unsteadily on the table. Then he turned to Farncombe again with a confused air. Where was I? Uh, back from the Carrah. Yes, yes. And so things went on for a couple of years. I trailing after Lily closer than ever. And at last, at last, I did ask her to be my wife. The girl, who was listening with parted lips and wide-open eyes, cried appealingly, Don't, Nico, please don't but he still appeared to be almost oblivious of her presence. I'd left it too late. The novelty of me had worn off. She had scores of friends by that time. She had made her big hit, and followed it by another, and was the talk of the town. And she had money, too. She wasn't dependent on me any longer for her gloves, and her trips, and her outings. Lily's head was drooping now, and she was wringing her hands in anguish. Oh, she sobbed, that's beastly of you, beastly. She was kind to me in a way, he said. Kind and cruel. She didn't want to marry me. She didn't want to marry anybody. She was in love with herself and her success and what it was bringing her. But she wouldn't give me the kick. No, she wouldn't do that. I had been something to her. And there's where the kindness came in and the merciless cruelty of it, too. Good God! If she had only broken with me then, firmly and finally, if she had only sent me away, then she... she might have saved me. Oh, Nico! Nico! came the tearful cry. Twelve months ago, she did throw me a bone. This with an energetic fierceness that was devouring in its self-scorn. The regiment was under orders for India, and... Of course, I sent in my papers, and out of pity, I suppose, and because I was always pestering her, she promised to become engaged to me if I'd get other work to do. Work! I wonder, really, whether she was grinning to herself when she made that stipulation. Lily was now sobbing quietly, all the fire gone out of her, but the unhappy Farncombe could not utter a word. Work! repeated Jeeze. All the spunk, all the energy had been sapped out of me long before, and even her promise couldn't revive it. My search for a berth wasn't much more than a sham. At the back of my head, I knew very well what I had come to. The only work I was capable of was dancing attendance on her and filling in what remained of the day and night at a rotten restaurant, a bohemian club, and the bar of the theatre and that's been my sole employment for the past year. Nothing but that. Pretty for a man who started life as swimmingly as I did. Pretty. Pretty. His voice died away, 
and his eyes had the inward look of a man who was surveying the ruins of his life. For a little while there was a profound silence in the room. Lily had ceased the audible, half-hysterical breathing of a woman striving to stifle her tears. Indeed, when she spoke, her voice was strangely calm, though her utterance was somewhat laboured. "'I... I don't think you've ever put the case to me quite so plainly as this, Nico,' she said. "'I don't think I've ever put it quite so plainly to myself,' he answered. Her lips trembled piteously, but she persevered with a brave effort that was wholly lost on the man for whose sake she was making it. "'You... you won't believe me now. I've never fully realized it till now, the harm I've done you. I declare to God I've never realized it till now.' Jeeze seemed hardly to heed her. He sighed again and turned to Farncombe. "'I'm afraid I've been a shocking brute,' he said resignedly. "'I can only plead that I got carried away. "'You must forget the things I've said of this girl. "'Forget em, will you? "'And look here. "'A man who isn't a sportsman deserves to be shot. "'You've won her. "'I've lost her. "'I congratulate you, old chap. "'I do, on my soul. "'Take care of her, that's all. "'Mind, you take care of her.' His voice broke slightly on those last few words, and he jammed his cap on savagely as he made for the door once more. But Lily Paradale again caught his arm and drew him to her. "'No, no! Nico, Nico!' she cried, clinging to him convulsively, after darting at Farncombe one half-frightened, half-imploring glance. "'Nico, I can't undo the mischief I've done. I can't do that. But I can try to make it up to you, some of it.' "'And I will, if you'll let me.' She flung her arms around his shoulders when he would have shrunk from her embrace, yet there was no responsive tenderness in his manner, but rather angry surprise. "'Make it up to me. What do you mean?' he said gruffly. "'Ah, you must know what I mean,' she said, with a despairing earnestness, and thrusting her face close to his. "'Don't you understand?' "'I'll marry you as soon as possible, next month if you like, next week, quietly.' The astounding words roused him from his stupor. He gripped her arms and stared at her blankly, but she only continued, with a feverish gaiety of manner that was more distressing than either her wrath or her humility. "'Yes, yes, you've been in too great a hurry to settle matters, you have. Lord Farncombe and I, we—' "'We're not going to be married. I've refused him. I've, I've ruined you, Nico, but I've told him, and I'm not going to draw him into my net.' Clinging to G's and burying her face against his breast, she cried again bitterly, "'Oh, no, I'm not going to draw him into my net.' Both men were utterly astonished, the one because of the splendid renunciation she was making— the other because he heard in her frantic words the knell of his dearest hopes. But in her utter self-abandonment she had no eyes for the bewilderment of the one or the dejection of the other. Raising her head and speaking with wonderful self-control, she said, "'Nico, I want to have one more word with Lord Farncombe. Just one more word. Only a minute, and then you must walk away together, you and he.' and part good friends. Jeeze, 
seemingly stunned by her willing sacrifice, for even in that bitter hour he could regard it in no other light, went out and closed the door behind him. Farncombe, who looked sick and dazed, was preparing to follow, when Lily, dabbing her eyes with a handkerchief, went to him and said forlornly, "'Well, you have had a lucky escape, haven't you?' "'Escape?' he murmured, incapable of understanding her. "'Yes, you've heard what a cold-blooded, selfish wretch I am, how I've treated Nico.' He waved that aside, as though the idea were fantastic and repulsive, but she was not to be deterred, and came close to him, gazing up into his face frankly and pathetically. "'And you've seen what I'm like when I'm in a rage,' she continued. "'You've seen what the genuine Lily Margaret Upjohn is without her disguise. "'Yes, that was me, Eddie, under the crust. "'Common as dirt, my dear, common as dirt.' and she clutched at the lapels of his coat. "'Oh, you'll always remember me, with my eyes starting out of my head, spitting at Nico. You'll always picture that horrible sight when you think of me.' "'You... you were provoked. I... I admired you for it,' he said, striving vainly to find words that would heal while hiding his own agony. But he could not deceive her. "'Ah, you dear boy,' she said tenderly. "'Eddie, had you a little hope that, after all, I might turn your offer over in my mind, and eventually—' "'Yes, uh, yes,' he said heavily. "'Then I'll tell you something,' she whispered, and a new light flamed in her eyes. "'I might have, if—if you had persisted.' He quivered, as though she had struck him, and she remembered how he, too, must be suffering.' and withdrew a step or two. "'Thank God Nico came along,' she said, forcing her wan lips to utter the words. "'What was it his mother called us girls? A menace to society, creatures to be dreaded and prayed against. You see, I was right in wishing to protect you for your mother's sake, as well as your own. But again, thank God that Nico came along.' The unhappy man found the situation beyond him. He collapsed on to a settee and covered his face with his hands, but she only bent over him with soothing, eager solicitude. "'Ah, uh, don't do that, Eddie. I'm not worth it, Eddie. You must listen. This is what I want to say to you. Don't come near me any more. You really mustn't. And don't come to the theatre again. If I thought you were sitting in front, I—I'm sure I couldn't—' Her voice rose with a quick intensity of passion. "'Swear, swear you'll keep away from me and from the theatre, "'and you'll never go to any supper or dinner or dance "'where you are likely to meet the other girls. "'Will you, Eddie? Swear it!' "'He rose and met her eyes for a moment. "'Though he made no answer, "'she read in his face the acceptance of her demand. "'At that she took him by the shoulders again. "'Her eyes blazed into his. "'Eddie, if one of the other girls ever got hold of you, "'I... I'd kill her! And she literally hissed the words at him. Then, darting away suddenly, she opened the door and Jeeves came in. Now march, both of you, she continued. I'm, I'm pretty well baked. 
she caught hold of a hand of each man and joined them together with a mirthless laugh <laughs> i've made the pair of you precious miserable if you only knew it she said the difference is she went on turning to g's that he'll soon forget me but you with me as a wife are doomed for life putting her hands on her prospective husband's shoulders she kissed him lightly and then asked him a question with her eyes he turned aside and she offered her lips to farncombe good-bye she said almost quietly away with you they went out without another word and she followed to the top of the stairs to watch them descend then she came slowly back into the room and listened as though she had committed some deadly crime there was the sound of a closing door and she looked around the empty room with a kind of horror in her eyes end of chapter 14